Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. you need to turn to Luke 23, 26 through 43, and there you can reread the events that are concerning this. There's a lot of people have a lot of questions that we need to get answered. Was the thief baptized? Was there something that we need to learn to understand from this? And can we appreciate the message that God has given us? He's the most argued story of Christ's ministry, I think, that a lot of people have understood The question is, was the thief baptized is on the minds and the hearts of about every denomination that there is that exists. This is going to be one of three or four sermons on this subject, and I need for you to hear the other two as they are preached so you'll be able to understand what's going on. But before we start, we need to kind of get a feeling of the events and the circumstances of the time in which this existed. If you'll turn with me to Matthew, the 24th chapter, Jesus, as he was talking about this period of time, says there there were wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, and there was a great upheaval and a great overwhelming of the people in that period of time. And because of this, There was a lot of uh, instances of this where people were contrary one to another. He said, verse 4, take heed, Matthew 24, that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see not that you be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not near. Then when, in Acts the fifth chapter, there was the contest to see whether the apostle Paul on Peter and the apostle John were able to going to be able to stay alive. There was a man who stood up in the council named Gamaliel. If you'll turn to Acts the fifth chapter and verse 34, the Bible says, Then stood there up one in a council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation amongst all the people and commanded to be put and commanded the apostles to be put forth a little space. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days there arose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, who was slain. 
and all and as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this there rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. A lot of insurrection, a lot of confusion, a lot of trouble. As we read the history of Josephus, we'll find out that Josephus teaches us in this period of time there was more upheaval and more confusion than any time that the Jew had ever gone through that people could remember. There were they who were trying to overthrow the Roman government. So vehemently were they decided to overthrow the Roman government there was a segment of the Jews named the Zealots, of which Simon Peter and probably John the Apostle were a part, that were they who swore upon the head of their firstborn son that before their life left this earth, they would overthrow the Roman government by the sword. They hated the Roman government. They wanted Jerusalem and Judea to be free. And they thought that this was the plan of God that they could bring about this incident or time. There were many, according to uh, Josephus, that held and ran insurrections and rebellions. And the Roman army was run ragged over the hills of Judea, trying to keep down these insurrections to not overthrow the Roman government. So it was a bad time. It was a period of a lot of insurrection and overthrow. It was a time when there were people who just would rise up from amongst nobody and declare themselves to be the Savior of Israel. And when they declared themselves to be such, there would follow them many men. And, of course, we've read of two events spoken of in, in the Scriptures, not mentioned in uh, uh, world history. As far as I'm concerned, the Scripture to be more valid. That show that this period of time such as this existed. We, in a study of this magnitude, have to concern ourselves with the truth on the matter. Leave it up to the devil to mess up something as badly as he had the story, or has the story of the thief on the cross. People have not read the scriptures. And when we've finished, you may wonder if you understand this account more better than you did, but if you don't, it's because you've not listened and not studied the early church fathers had no trouble with the thief. Chrysostom, Tertullian, Cyprian, Onesimus, and others knew that what we have not been told as common knowledge was known amongst the church of Christ in that time. We don't know the story as it was, but as the denominationalists want it to be today. We've heard from the Baptists, we've heard from the Methodists, we've heard from the Pentecostals. What a story they tell. And there's one thing that we've not heard, and that is the real truth that is involved in this discussion. One thing we have to do is read with understanding. 
not with mindless instruction. For Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ in Galatians 1 and 10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. The trouble is that people think they know the story and they cannot learn the truth. What I believe they'll say is right and nothing else can be. Or you'll hear somebody else say, well, everybody knows about the thief. The question is, was he baptized? Or somebody else will come along and say, are you telling me you cannot be wrong about biblical doctrine as you've studied it? Just because people have been taught wrong all their life doesn't make what they've been taught wrong right. And when we find out what the truth is on the subject, we then can, for the first time, begin to understand the story of the thief on the cross. Before we start, we must make things that have not been known come to light. In this time and in this situation, we have Jesus and John the Baptist. In the book of Mark, the first chapter and the fourth verse, the Bible says they went about everywhere preaching the kingdom of heaven was at hand. This was an operative phrase to the Jew. For if the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that meant that the Roman kingdom would soon be overthrown. And when the Jew heard that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, they'd have done anything to be a part of that kingdom. They so hated Rome and the uh, trouble that Rome had given them. Why, if you'd talk to them about baptism, that would be one of the least things that they'd ever consider for not participating in. And not only that, but as you see this story unfolding, you got to ask this question. Was not even Jesus baptized? And as Jesus and John traversed Judea, Jerusalem, and that area in the three and a half years of the personal ministry of Christ and John the Baptist, am I to understand that although John and Jesus, the greatest prophets ever born to uh, uh, one amongst women, and Jesus being God himself, could spend five or six years collectively preaching baptism for the remission of sins, and the thief ignored their preaching and still be saved? Is it possible? Do you really mean to try and get me to believe this as truth? This man would have been saved by faith only. And Billy Graham would really like that kind of religion because that's what he's been preaching for a lot of years. What would Jesus have told Nicodemus differently if it did not intend that the truth be taught concerning the plan of salvation this might shake you up a little you may have thought that you knew the answer to the question also but what was the question of Nicodemus visit when he came to Christ I've heard John and you preach he said there's a kingdom coming and I won't in how do I get in do I have to be baptized I'm a member of the Sanhedrin you know do I need to be what? Born again? How? Can I re-enter my mother's womb? Jesus said, no, dummy. 
you got to be baptized. What John and I are telling everybody to do. Am I to understand that Nicodemus had to be baptized and the thief didn't? What Jesus would tell the rest of the Jews is understandable. He came into his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them which believed on his name, which were born not of man, nor of the will of man, but of God. They had to be born of God. Or are you right again? You quote it, are you going to be born again when the kingdom actually gets here? Are you going to be born again now? The Jews had to be baptized in order to get into the kingdom of God. They had to be baptized in order to be pleasing to God. You're telling me the thief didn't? And yet he got in the kingdom? Then in the book of John, of Luke, the 16th chapter, there's a thing that is stated that a lot of people have not looked at and read. In Luke 16 and 16, the Bible says, concerning this period of time, that the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. There was a change that had taken place. The law of Moses went through two or three evolutions that we can find out about. One of the most pertinent ones, which many times people have never considered, is that they changed the place where God was to be worshipped about 500 years after the law came into being. You see, Moses commanded them to worship on Mount Moriah or Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, whichever term you want to use. But when David became king, he changed that law and commanded them to worship in Jerusalem. Then, as another evolution change or another way of evolving, the scriptures teach that John's mission was not a part of the law of Moses. No more part of the law of Moses than the ministry of Christ. The law and the prophets, if I can read that verse, were until John. That when John came along, the commands to be obeyed under the law and under Moses no longer were applicable. Consider, who sent John? The answer is God. What did he send him to do? He sent him to preach. There was a man from God who's, who was sent from God whose name was John. He was not that prophet but he came to bear witness of that prophet. He came to bear witness of him who was the light that would light every man that came into the world. What did he preach when he came? He preached baptism for the remission of sins. Under whom was he sent? If you'll read, you'll find out in the book of Luke, the first chapter in the 76th verse, that John came to preach unto all Israel. He did not come to preach to the Gentile. He came to preach only to the Jew. And his job, according to him in John 1, was to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his path straight. And he came 
unto them preaching baptism for the remission of sins. If you'll look at Matthew, the third chapter, beginning with the first verse, there was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. And it says that John came preaching, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is that voice that was spoken that was to be the epitome of the prophet Isaiah who was saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make make his path straight. And John had raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins. And his meat was locust and wild honey. Then went out to Jerusalem and all Judea, all the regions round about Jordan. Listen to verse 6. And were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Who went to hear John preach? All of Israel. Now, if you'll turn you'll find that Jesus took up where John, when he was killed, was doing the same thing. Look at John, the fourth chapter, and verse 1 and 2 and 3. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. What did Jesus and John the Baptist do for about five years? They went everywhere. When they went everywhere, what did they preach? They preached, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now their sins were to be remitted as under the Old Testament covenant, they had been rolled ahead. But the law and the prophets were not now in control or in power. For now the kingdom was under the tutelage and the control and the last evolution of John the Baptist. What happened to those who heard and obeyed John? They were prepared for the Lord. They were prepared for the kingdom when it came. Their sins were removed, that is, rolled ahead. And they were not those who were in a position that they would have been had John not come. Now, if you'll look at the last book of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, you'll find out that John is again mentioned and the words that we're speaking of will verify that. Now, if you go to Matthew, go back one book and you'll find Malachi. The Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 4, Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb before all of Israel with my statutes and judgments. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. In other words, he's going to bring them to repentance. Their heart's going to be soft. It's going to be melted. It's going to be brought, broken down. <clears throat> Unless, Jesus says, I come and smite the earth with a curse. Jesus was threatening, and he wasn't giving us an idle threat. If they don't follow what John the Baptist came and preached and taught, 
He said, and I come, and they are not prepared for my coming. Their heart is not supple and repentant. They are not desirous of a doing the will of God. When I come, I'll strike them with a curse. What happened to those who refused John's baptism? They had found themselves in rejection of the counsel of God. Look at the book of Luke, the 7th chapter, and the 29th and the 30th verses. Jesus said and was teaching that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had rejected the counsel of God by not being baptized of John's baptism. Now look what we've found so far. All the Jews went out to be baptized of John or Jesus. If they didn't go out to be baptized of John or Jesus, they didn't have their sins taken care of so that when the Savior came, he would not strike them with a curse. Had the work of John the Baptist and Jesus not been effective, the Jew would not have been prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And all Jesus and John preached was baptism for the remission of sins, and all the Jews were participating in that. And if they refused John's baptism, they rejected the counsel of God by not being baptized of John. Now you mean to tell me that a man would have been under the tutelage and the preaching of John the Baptist and Jesus for five or six years, hadn't being a thief he had to work in and amongst all the other people, heard John and Jesus preach, but knowing that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, was as energetic and enthusiastic as he was to make sure that it came about that he had participated in another Jesus with another plan and another gospel. Maybe thinking that like those in the uh, uh, church today who work in the uh, unity movements of the council of preachers in town, they thought everybody was telling the same story that he was as good and just as prepared for the coming of the kingdom as he and would refuse the baptism that Jesus and John preached. You see, John was a spokesman for God. His words were the words of God and became the law of God when preached. There were no exceptions. The Son of God, the greatest prophet, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, were there in that day preaching this message. You've got the greatest preacher, you've got God who was preaching, and you've got the children of Israel listening, and they preached five or six years collectively the same message before the cross of Calvary. And you mean to tell me with rationality and with comprehension you can think that the thief did not have to be baptized? You must be listening to some lying denominational preacher. You're not reading the Bible. For it would have been the rejection of the counsel of God not to have been baptized. And if you rejected the counsel of God, when you got to the point of death, having rejected the counsel of God for at least six years, it came down to the point you were going to die. You say, oh, God, forgive me. I mean, you know, I'm, going to, I'm going to play makeup right now. I guess I'll give in. And then you've got to listen to the words of the thief. The thief cried out, 
Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Where did he hear about the kingdom? The same place he heard about baptism. Listen to Nicodemus. I've got to be born again to enter the kingdom. Same subject. Teaching of John and Jesus was that which was preparing men for the coming kingdom. What the thief wanted was in. You're telling me that the thief could reject baptism, the preaching of John and Jesus, snub his nose at the kingdom, and at the last minute get in the kingdom anyway? This thief was a disciple of somebody, and what we need to find out is who that somebody was. It's a strange scene, the sinless son of God between two thieves. The crime, he was being crucified because he was said to be the king of the Jews. On his side, left and right, were two thieves. At this moment when they were put on the cross, they're united. For to be blunt and frank with you, if it weren't for Jesus, this was not the day of their death. So you can kind of see they'd be a little irritated and aggravated with Jesus at this moment. And if they didn't believe that he was the right Jesus, there may be another reason for them to be angry. Like all the Jews, they only thought of this world and they never thought of any other world that was yet coming. But there was another Jesus in town. These two men were disciples of Barabbas. If you look at Matthew, the 27th chapter, the 15th through the 23rd verse, or Mark 15, 6 through 14, or John 18, 39 and 40, you will find that there was another man whose name was Barabbas. In Hastings Church history, Barabbas was said to be a brigand, one of those who had taken part in the ascent of blood. He had taken part in an insurrection under the name of Barabbas. Now, maybe nobody has ever helped you with the word Barabbas, but let's look at it tonight. Anytime in Jewish language you see the name Bar, that is that which means the son of. Remember when Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar Jonah? Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. When you talk about the word Bar, you're talking about somebody who is the son of. The middle part of Barabbas' name is Abba. Anybody knows that's ever studied anything that the word Abba means God. When you put both of these together, you're talking about a man who called himself or was called the Son of God. It's a patronic name or a name derived from the father or patron. And when you listen to Pilate, he clarifies this even more clearly. 
If you want to look, and if you haven't, it's just a good time to do so. Turn to Matthew, the 27th chapter, and the 15th verse, and I want to show you that I'm not whistling Dixie, and we're not talking about something that's not a reality. Matthew 27 and verse 15. Listen. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would. And they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ? Now, Jesus was also called the Son of God, but he is also called Christ. So what Pilate wanted to know is which son of God do you want me to release to you? Both of them had the same name. One of them has the appendage on it of Christ. So you want me to release Barabbas, who's the son of God? Or do you want me to release Barabbas, who is also called Christ? There's two. Tell me which one you want me to release to you. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Barabbas claimed to be the one who could deliver Israel. The two insurrectionists that are on the cross believed Barabbas because it made more sense. They were wanting to get Rome. And they had followed him believing that he was the one of whom the prophet spoke. Now, you are ready for the conversation of the thief to Christ on the cross. And because you are now ready, you can look at what Jesus and the thief discussed that in a way you had never heard or thought about. Because this thief, the one on the one side... And the one on the other side of Christ had in the middle of them the Son of God. It wasn't the Son of God that they followed. The Son of God that they followed was released. And he was sent out amongst the people. And all of a sudden, like we've seen about the in-laws in the Muslim faith, they'll send the women and the children to blow up themselves. They'll send everybody else to die and to kill themselves. But they ain't got a gut one, and they don't go themselves. And such was the case of Barabbas, who was there with a Pilate and who was offered to the people. Now look at verse 11. Matthew 27, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus said, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said unto them, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. You see, Pilate said, which one do you want? Which one shall I release? Now we're down to verse 17. 
of Matthew 27. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew that for envy they'd redelivered him. When he was set on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. It's a strange dream for a woman to dream in the daytime, isn't it? But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. There were two who were called the Son of God. Are you ready? You think this is not working? Look at the next verse. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. According to Josephus, the name that Barabbas went by was Jesus. And it was the contest between Jesus, the Son of God, who in a military fashion would overthrow the Roman government, or Jesus, who was the Son of Mary, with no military action. And so Pilate was trying to figure out what was Jesus' position. And Pilate got smart with Jesus. And when he got smart with Jesus, he said to Jesus, Don't you know I can do with you anything that I want to do? Jesus said, I can pray to the Father and he'll send ten legions of angels or twelve and there is nothing you can do that has not been allowed for you to have done. Then, verse 26, Then they released Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, I hope that you've seen some of the arguments that I wanted to start with tonight so that you can kind of begin to get an idea just who is it we're talking about. Will the, will the real Barabbas stand up? Both of them, according to history, bore the name Jesus. Both of them, according to history, bore the name Barabbas, son of God. But only one of them, bore the name Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yet, at the time when Jesus was delivered to be crucified, Barabbas was in jail because of the ascent of blood and his insurrection against the Roman government. And so, in order to please the people, Pilate sent for Barabbas, who was the leader in the ascent of blood, and offered the people, because the ascent of blood is where he went in and killed the Jews. Now, Pilate was kind of working on Jesus' side, you might think. 
and that because of the dream of his wife, and was going to present to them such an unscrupulous, heinous character that anybody with their right mind and their right understanding would have rejected. And you would have thought that the Jewish people would have done the same. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees worked the people into an overwhelming confusion. And they had them cry out for Barabbas and not Christ. And when we understand the position that Jesus was now in, he never spake a word. I used to, as a young preacher, wonder, with Jesus' ability with words, with his understanding as God, why he didn't chew Pilate up and spit him out until I read the prophecy concerning him. It is said that Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, the thief, was a person who was very good and very contagious with his ability to speak. And his message was always one that everybody heard. And that message is the me message. I can do it. Follow me. I'm the one. Me. Everything is all about me. But when Jesus got to the cross or came to be tried, the Bible said he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And before his shearers, he was dumb and opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken, and who shall declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth. If these people had ever but one time listened to what Jesus did not do and knew the prophecy of Isaiah, they would have known without question or doubt this me, I, I'm important, I'm the one, Barabbas was not the Christ of God. And then just for next week, there's a couple of names I want to leave with you. The name of the thieves were male factors. If you've never known what a male factor is, you need to look it up. The male factor is the Greek word kagurgos. It's a person who causes bad effects, an evildoer, malicious, cunning, treacherous, to put one in a bad mood with the innocent. A person who cared not for the good of the people, but for himself. These didn't fit Jesus at all. And then another thing, and this will really stoke the fire. They were called thieves. There's two words in the Greek language for thief. There's the word lestes, L-E-S-T-E-S. By definition, it's a military insurrectionist, a terrorist. Persons who were attempting to overthrow the existing government. George Washington was one of those. 
Castro was one of those in Cuba. But then there's another word in the Greek language for thief, and that's the word kleptos, from which we get our word kleptomaniac, which was a common, ordinary thief. The name given to these male factors that hung on the cross was that of Alestes. They were military insurrectionists. They were there because the kingdom of heaven was supposed to be coming at hand. They were there, and Jesus' name, I mean, the name that was put over Jesus' head on the cross is, this is the king of the Jews. It was put there in three languages, so everybody could read it and understand it. Peter, Pilate was saying to the Jews, this is what I do to your military insurrectionists. Look and see what the power of Rome has done to these men. These were not common, ordinary thieves. These were not people who steal or stole as they run in amongst the followers of Jesus or John the Baptist to pick their pockets. These were men on a mission who was following a man who claimed to be the Son of God, who by military might had already made two or three statements concerning his attempt to overthrow the Roman government. These remind me of people in the Baptist or the Methodist or the Presbyterian church at death. In the throes of death, they found out they had followed the wrong Barabbas. Now, you can argue about baptism if you want to. I don't see why anybody could have any reason to consider that in five years of preaching, when the greatest preachers that ever lived, when the Son of God, who was on this earth, had done nothing but preach baptism for the remission of sins for five years, and this man had any love for Israel at all, that he had not been baptized. But even if he did, if he had not been baptized, he'd rejected the counsel of God. Do you believe that man could have been obedient to God? And even if he did, he was following the wrong leader, yet trying to accomplish the same purpose, and that's to overthrow the government of Rome. And the sad part is he found out almost too late. Now, that's going to explain the discussion between the two thieves hanging there with Christ. You're going to see why one was a bad boy and a smart aleck, and the other all of a sudden says, Whoa, wait a minute. Dost thou not fear God? This man has done nothing amiss. How did he know? Who had instructed him? Where had he learned? And we'll continue this discussion the next time we get together, the Lord willing, and we'll continue to find out about the thief on the cross. Now, I could go to the regular arguments that our brother in Christ used. In fact, and I do use them. The fact is he was under a different covenant. 
He was under the law of Moses, never under the law of Christ. And it wouldn't matter what was commanded under the law of Moses. We're under the Christian dispensation. And our Lord and our commander has commanded us to believe and be baptized to be saved. You can forget what Moses taught his people. That's done over and gone. So arguing whether he was baptized or not is really a mute point. He didn't even live under the law that we lived under. Can I ask you a question? Was he circumcised? Can I ask you another question? Did he go to the, uh, Jerusalem to worship three times a year? Can I ask you another? If I ask you more questions about the Judaic law, I'm going to get you more further estranged from trying to consider that this guy was someone that was not salvageable. But what if, because he'd followed the wrong man with all of his heart, He's like the denominationalist who thinks they've been saved without obeying the gospel today. And right before he died, the Savior hanging on that tree between him and the other guy offered him pardon because of his heart. If you're here and need to respond to the invitation of the gospel, you're invited to come as we stand and sing. As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment, you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Hello and welcome to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. My name is Michael and tonight I'd like to speak to you about John chapter 5. The sermon's title is written on the board. It says, Waiting at Bethesda. So, Let's jump right in with the first four verses, John chapter 5, 1 through, five, one through 4, I'm sorry. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind Halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So we see here that there's... These people are in Jerusalem. This is a crowded time of year. It says it's one of the feasts of the Jews. Remember, those three special seasons in the year that they needed to show up in Jerusalem to pay homage, to show reverence to the Lord. Those were Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Three separate times of the year. So it says during one of their feasts, which we can assume is one of these three, that there's a certain pool that was there. The name of the pool was Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a Hebrew word, and it means house of kindness. So there's a pool, and it has five porches around it. They've actually dug this place up in Jerusalem, and they found it. There's five actual porches around a large pool. So... Imagine this, if you would. 
a pool, a giant pool, where many, many, many people show up. You might think of a barbecue scene, right? And five porches sounds like a, a large place to accommodate such a crowd, right? This barbecue probably didn't serve pork, however, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there's five porches, a large area for people to do activities. So it could be a joyous place. There's waters that get stirred up certain times of the year, and during that time, if you were the first person to jump into the water when it was stirred, you would be made whole of whatever infirmities you might have. Now, if you will, try to imagine what kind of crowds there might be there. Any malady at all, anything, any sickness or disease that's in this world, the coronavirus, for instance, the line of people that might show up to these pools, imagine, right? So it could be a huge crowd. Not only that, what type of people would you see in the crowd? People without limbs, people with sores, people sick and dying. Now, you have a picture of pool and porches that might seem like a, a lovely place, but now you bring in crowds and crowds of sick and ill people that are eagerly waiting for water to be stirred. And this is what you see when you go there. Now, this is a pool in Jerusalem. And so most likely it was filled with tons and tons of Jews. And this is the crowd that Jesus comes to. A crowd of people eagerly waiting to get into the water. I wish it was so when it was time to baptize people, right? So, and what kind of uh, urgency might these people have? And they had to be the first one in the water. So what type of people made it? The quick, right? You had to run as fast as you could. You had to jump in front of everybody. It was like Black Friday, right? You're going to trample everyone for, for, for the $50 TV, 70-inch, right? Everybody gets trampled. I want to be the one to get the TV. Same scenario. Crowds of people sitting at a pool waiting for water to move. That's all that they're doing. Now, could this place really exist? And did healing really occur? We don't know, but the Bible says it does. So it does, exactly. The Bible says it does. And so these people had a certain hope in the water being stirred and the ability, ability to be healed. They had faith in this. And this is what they would show up to. Let's go forward. Verses 5 through 6. It says, A certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Let me ask you something. A sick man who's going to this pool now, we see that he lays on a mat. 
He's not someone who can easily move around. He can't get to the water first, can he? He's not the quick young guy that sprints, right? He's a guy that might not be able to move very much. And he's been there 38 years. You have an illness within yourself, and you've had it for 38 years. And you think in your mind, you're going to make it to the water first after 38 years of trying. This is what this man went through every day. So you have a guy that has hope, but a guy that also seems hopeless, right? 38 years, that would wear you out, right? I'm sure there was lots of disappointment during that period. It says Jesus saw him lying there. There's a crowd. (laughs) Imagine the crowd of people here. And Jesus sees this one guy. Looks at this one guy. And talks to this one guy. Out of a crowd of people. Imagine that. What are the chances? He selects this man out of the great multitude. Now mind you, that multitude are looking at the water, right? And Jesus comes along through the crowd. Now, in other cities that we've seen in the Bible, in, a couple, in a ch- one chapter ago even, there was a man, I told you, who ran. He was, a, he was a nobleman. He ran to Jesus and asked that he save his child that was dying. And that man knew exactly who Jesus was. But now Jesus is walking straight through a crowd of ill people. And no, no one sees Jesus walking forward. All they see is the water in front of them. That's all they're looking at. That's all they care about. That's where their hope lies. They don't see Jesus. It's almost like the crowd was blind. Not a single one sought Jesus in the crowd. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.